the way that you're a parent will be modeled from your kids picking up on that. And then that will in turn then impact on how their parents. So really indirectly, your work will impact the way your grandkids get treated. Welcome back to the Whole Mamas Podcast and happy holidays. We hope you're able to spend time with those you love and are able to manage the chaos that can sometimes happen this time of year with in-laws in town, different points of view on parenting, extended nursing, how you feed your kids, the endless number of plastic toys you're getting from well-intentioned family. We get it and we know that we're here for you. I'm Stephanie Grinke, registered dietitian and program director for Whole30's Whole Mamas Club. And my co-host is Dr. Ilana Romel, pediatric naturopathic doctor and founder of Nourish Medical Center. Today, we're going to expand on key points from last week's episode, where I interviewed Michelle, who is a hand-in-hand certified instructor and mother herself to two girls, navigating life as a parent and a coach to others. Before we begin, I want to give one last reminder about our group January Whole30 that will be taking place inside Healthy Mama, Happy Baby, which is Whole Mama's Pregnancy Program's Facebook group. If you're interested in doing a January Whole30 to start the year off right and reset your health, hormones, and relationship with food, you will absolutely love the support and accountability of this group no matter where you're at on the journey to motherhood. We're offering 10 weeks of Whole30 coaching, including prep, reintroduction, and food freedom discussions from myself and four Whole30 certified coaches who understand modifications for pregnancy and breastfeeding. You'll get daily support and accountability check-ins, exclusive weekly giveaways from Whole30 approved brands, and a like-minded community of mamas and mamas-to-be to support you each step of the way. Right now, we have at least 40 breastfeeding members, 25 pregnant members, 11 members in the preconception period, and 10 postpartum members joining us. You're going to be in great supportive hands who understand unique challenges, concerns, and struggles that you may be experiencing when making healthy changes. We want you to succeed, so we're sweetening the deal with $40 off. Use code PODCAST40 for $40 off your entire membership. Learn more and sign up at wholemamasclub.com forward slash join now to get in on this offer. All right, now on to the show. To start our Nourish Yourself segment, Stephanie, what did you do today to nourish yourself? This has actually been something that I've been doing for almost a week now uh, at time of recording, and that is I've stopped eating very low carbohydrate. I was doing, I wouldn't, I can't really say keto because I wasn't counting my carbs or looking at my blood ketones, but I was eating very low carb, only eating like leafy greens and cruciferous vegetables, no fruit, no starches. And that worked for me for a certain period of time. And it's really interesting because I recommend only doing a keto diet therapeutically for about 12 weeks and then reanalyzing how you did if you choose to do that approach and hopping back onto either a lower glycemic approach or doing whatever style eating fits your body best. And I have been doing very low carb for a long time now, much longer than 12 weeks. And it stopped working for me for a long time now, but I kept telling myself, well, 
you know, maybe I'm just not doing it right. Maybe I need to go lower carbohydrate. Maybe I need to have more plant-based fats instead of animal and plant-based fats. And I've been blaming kind of myself versus understanding that that approach isn't right for me anymore and I need to move on. And it worked for me for a certain period of time for the anxiety, but now I need to increase that variety and that volume of vegetables and fruits and starches. So this last, we had Thanksgiving at the time of recording just this last weekend and I enjoyed bites of pumpkin pie and I had mashed potatoes and uh, I really have been enjoying increasing the variety in my diet. And so I just, you know, sometimes these diet fads come and go and sometimes you can get sucked into them. But I think the important part here is just to really listen to what your body is telling you. My body was saying that, you know, it was actually putting on weight, which is really interesting um, because I hadn't changed much. Um, And with keto, you would think you would just be dropping weight after being on it for so long. I started having more cramps around the times of my ovulation and my cycle was thrown off. It was longer some months and shorter other months when it had been really regular. And so I had to step back from looking at all the benefits that I had been seeing to what was currently present in my reality. Mm. Thank you for sharing that stuff. First, I'm sorry you had to go through that, but I love how authentic and how much you just share with us because it's so important for so many other women and moms, I mean, men, everyone, but to really hear these kind of stories, because I think oftentimes people share when it's working for them and how much they love something, but we don't oftentimes share, well, hey, now it's not working. (laughs) You know, like it was working for so much time and now it's not working. And now let's go ahead and tune in and find what what is the next thing that will work for you. So thank you for sharing that because I'm sure you're not the only one. And I also wanted to mention, I really believe with every different stage of life, things will work for us better than in other stages. And perhaps it worked for you for the first few months after, you know, I think you started after weaning Leo, or you actually were doing keto even during nursing, I believe. Is that right? And now maybe that your body's like, you know, getting Mm -hmm. the rhythm back Mm -hmm. together, you're exercising a lot more, you're doing awesome with your morning routine and getting to the gym. I think your needs are just different and now you're in need of more carbohydrates and there's nothing wrong with that. I love that you're listening to your body and that your body was kind of showing you some symptoms to say, Hey, Hey, something needs to change and you're listening to it. So I think it's great. Well, thank you. Yeah. And what about you? What did you do? Well, actually I'm nourishing myself right now as we speak. Um, this is the first time I'm recording a podcast at a co-working space. So for the last over a year, we've been doing these podcasts together, Steph. I've pretty much like hid upstairs in my den and hoped to God that Aviva wouldn't like make too much noise and interrupt us. (laughs) And that's been going okay. But I finally decided I wanted to give it a shot and go to an actual co-working space and, you know, pay a monthly fee to use like a private room to just like not have the distraction and just enjoy it. And it feels like a luxury. I definitely didn't need it, but I think it was like time for me to you know, see what that feels like. And I've really tried to transition my schedule where I'm working part-time from home and part-time from the clinic over at Nourish Medical Center. Sometimes I'll record a podcast over there as well, but the times that I'm working from home, I, I don't like working from home. I just, it doesn't work for me. I'm too distracted. So I've been just going to a coffee shop doing work. And I also realized that that can get distracting. So I wanted, I wanted to give this a try and, 
and invest in a co-working space where it's, it's just more quiet. It's really beautiful here. It's at my own private room for our recording. So we'll see how it goes. But to me, that was really nourishing myself because I realized that I really deserve it. I work really, really hard. I wear a lot of different hats. And I think that doing something like this as a luxury is is a gift and very nourishing to my soul. And it's so fun to come to a pretty place and open up my laptop and, and work. So that was something I wanted to share. Yes. I loved, I loved Hero Hub when I had a membership there. I think it's great because you can be social if you want to. There's a lot of opportunities. There's people that are around. There are experts that you can talk to at certain times of the month, but you can also be introverted and really focus like what you're doing now in your own private room. So I'm glad that you found that. And it will be nice to see how it works for you. And you'll have to keep us updated if you're continuing to work there, if you switch back to coffee shops. But yeah, I think the theme for today's Nourish Yourself segment is to just realize what you need in this current moment to be the best version of yourself. Mm -hmm. And how it changes. changes. Like I never even had any desire to come here even six months ago. I was like, no, I'm so happy in the coffee shops or I'm so happy upstairs recording in my den. And then, you know, seasons change and you're like, you know what? I need to, I need to shift things. And so I really tuned into that and you did too. And so I think these are really great examples. Cool. All right. Well, let's dive in because I I just, I loved the episode you had with Michelle. I, you know, I loved how humble Michelle was in sharing her story. She was just vulnerable and she shared with us a lot that she would yell at her kids and make them wrong and have total breakdowns. And I know how easy it is for us moms to get into that same kind of mode. And I felt like I could really relate to her. Uh, Michelle shared how she just never anticipated being that kind of mom. She really didn't want to be a yeller. And so she sought out change. And I really admire her for that. And not only did she seek out the change for herself, but now she's coaching others. And I just think it's, it's just phenomenal what she's up to. So I'm kind of curious for you, Steph, is did you ever anticipate what kind of mom you may be and how that actually played out after having Otto and Leo and what kind of mom you became or who you are now? It was very different than what I thought I was going to be. I would say more so with Otto than with Leo. With Otto, I pictured myself after having my first kid being very social, being very extroverted, going to all the mom's groups, going to all the playground meetups. Uh, and that didn't happen. I mean, I, even in my planning for postpartum, I looked at all the different mom's groups that were in the area and I signed up for them. And I tried to make as many connections as I could because I was living in a new area, right? I had moved to Monterey when I was in my second trimester. And so I did a lot of work figuring out how I could be social after baby came. And what turned out to be was that I was very introverted because of my postpartum anxiety. (laughs) And that it didn't help that one of the first times that I went out and I braved, and I say that word, and I truly mean braved, going out of the house to meet up with a mom who had planned on meeting in the postpartum, I backed my car out into my husband's car. And so that connection, (gasps) yes, I scratched it. And so that connection was made that I made this decision that I didn't really want to do. I was trying, I was putting Mm -hmm. myself out there and this happens. And this is what happens when I try to go out. And so I I made that um, story in my head and, and that just continued what was going on. So, okay, got over that. And then the next time I went to a mom's group, I found that 
what my relationship was and how I was relating to my baby and how my baby was behaving was very different than the other moms. And that was hard for me. It felt like I was struggling a lot more than the other moms. And so again, that proved that going out and being social was challenging for me and that it wasn't a fit for this season. And you know what can happen when you seclude yourself, especially having an extroverted personality and loving people and being social is just, it's this vicious cycle where you try to break through that anxiety, but then something happens, right? And you blame it. You you kind of prove that story right over and over again. So that was my postpartum um, with Otto. Again, very different than what I had originally planned. Uh, but with Leo, it turned out how I had planned for the most part. I didn't have that anxiety and I was able to go out of the house and meet people. And I had neighbors, so I didn't have to drive places to meet people um, that I liked. Mm. And yeah, I think it can be really difficult to navigate that expectation versus reality in the postpartum. Interesting. And I think actually when I was asking that question, I was also thinking of just the kind of mom you are even now, not just right away with postpartum, but could you, did you ever like imagine what kind of mom you'd be like, if they're in a tantrum, how you'd be, or how you would just be with them day to day, being playful or being present with them or like how that would be. Well, I think that plays into it, right? Because I have that tendency towards anxiety and those experiences have kind of primed my body to think in a more reactive way. Like we talked about with Dr. Karen Lamb is being more reactive versus responsive um, and responding to what they need. And so, yeah, I definitely have more fear and I'm much more of a warrior and I'm much more of a hovering type mom than I thought I would be. I thought I would be a lot more relaxed and let them run around and not be all up in their grill when they're playing. But I have Mm. to work towards that in order to be the type of mom that I want to be or I picture that I had was going to be. All right. I got it. Can I share actually my answer? I would love to. Which is so interesting. I actually thought I was going to be more like what you just explained. Interesting. Oh, because of your history. Yeah. And I'm so surprised that I'm much more calm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm like, I, I even say to my husband sometimes like, I'm so shocked that that doesn't bother me right now, what she's doing. Like, I don't know. She could have just like totally fallen and scraped her knee and hit her head. And I'm like, oh, all right, let's go get some Arnica or something. You <laughs> like, really are though. You are. Yeah, it's I've very seen you strange. in action like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I surprise myself and I don't know why or what it is, but maybe it was because of all those years of like really working on staying calm and cool and even challenging situations. And in fact, I think a lot, a lot of my friends, and you've maybe even said this to me before, they'll say like, you can be so comfortable in like really major stressful situations, but sometimes the very, very little things you'll stress out about. And and that is kind of true about me. Like literally, uh, I think someone told me if there was going to be like a, I don't know, um, like the world's going to end or whatever, like a big deal. They want to be with me in that time because I'll probably be like cool and calm. <laughs> yeah. But like my, my husband oftentimes says like, you stress about the little things like the dishes in the sink or like if he leaves the washing machine door closed, but I really want it open. Like those little things bother me because they just do, but the big things don't really bother me as much. So I don't know. Everyone's so unique and different and they, we all have our own different occurrences of what cause us stress or anxiety. But anyway, back to that question, I actually thought I was going to be a lot, a lot more anxious and I happen to be a lot more calm and cool. And that surprises me. So 
I, yeah, I just think it's interesting. We all kind of anticipate what we may be, but until we're actually that per that a mom, I also think it depends on the kids too. Look, Steph, I mean, I have one child by the time I have three, God willing. I mean, I hope we do. I may be the crazy neurotic stressed out person. I mean, I don't know. I, I hope not. <laughs> I don't think you will be because you've, you've learned and you practice these techniques for so long. And yeah, if I see that in you, I definitely will call you out on it and we'll make sure Great. that you get help because I know you're committed to not being that. Mm. Um, but you're right. I mean, it does change with kids. If you have a kid that's more laid back and isn't jumping over the couch and trying to ride a skateboard at two years old, then you're going to have a different experience than somebody that's, or that's doing those things. So totally. Yeah. But thank you. You're such a good friend. Please call me out on it. I would love that. I always welcome that. All right. So let's talk about Michelle's philosophy, which is hand-in-hand parenting. She talked about the different philosophies when it comes to connection. And that connection is the key to like the glue to holding everybody together. So we talked about the distraction and the empathy and the safe space with Dr. Lamb. And now Michelle is a little bit different with the connection. So let's talk about the different philosophies and what one resonates with you the most and what one have you been using? Great. So I'm so glad we're going to talk about this because when I interviewed Dr. Lamb, I felt like she kept on saying distract, distract, yeah. distract. And then when I listened to your podcast interview with Michelle, it was like, connect, connect, connect. And I'm like, uh, hold on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Those are almost two opposite things. And then I really started thinking about it more and more. And I realized I actually think they're very similar philosophies. I think what Karen meant by distract is what Michelle meant by redirect with play. And those are two very similar things. So just as an example, Michelle talked a little bit about how, like if her child were to kick her, she would just grab her foot and then use it as a phone, Yeah, you know? And then that would (laughs) totally just like appear like it's, it could appear like it's distracting her, but really just redirecting her while still keeping the connection. And Michelle brought up a point that like our kids can't think clearly while they're irritable and anxious and throwing a tantrum. Like their prefrontal cortex just isn't stimulating what they need to in order to like really think clearly. And so by redirecting or distracting, so very similar words, you can reconnect them and then they can think better. And I liked that because I think physiologically that makes a lot of sense to me. And so then the distraction or the redirection is just helping them to connect. So at the end of the day, you're still connecting. And I really think about this with adults. Like, When I get irritable and I get moody, I know it's really hard for me to think clearly. Like I know when I'm really grouchy, I am not the like calm collective Ilana that like you just described me, you know, and that you know me to be Steph. Like I, it's like, I'm taken over by somebody and I just say things that I don't mean. And I, and I, you know, my tone is higher. I just, that I work on constantly. I'm very, very committed to not being that person. And we're all, we all get to be that person at times, but I actually think even for adults redirecting with play or redirecting with something. So just a couple of weeks ago, my husband and I got in a little tiff and we were both so grouchy. And I said, Hey, we need to have a dance party right now. And he's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, dance party. And I turned on eighties dance music and we literally took a Viva and the three of us just like danced and <laughs> we felt so much better. He hugged me. We hugged. He goes, Oh my God, this is such a good idea. And I'm like, I don't even know how I came up with this idea, but we just needed to like 
we needed to redirect ourselves. And that's exactly what happened. And it was so good. And afterwards, he's like, we need more dance parties. <laughs> and I said, yeah, let's do that. That's great. Yeah. And that also probably helped Aviva, you know, as we we're talking about is she could feel probably some tension going on. And then with a the dance party, she's like, oh, look, everything's OK. I'm OK. The world is OK. And that probably helped her calm down, too, because the last thing that you need when you and your partner are having an argument is the kids to be fussing or the kids to be throwing a tantrum. Right. That just heightens the the environment. So, oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah, I think They're that's also such a great reminders, because when we're Yes. You know, our, uh-huh. when we're yelling or like I say, not yelling, but like our tone is raised. But even that is very triggering to me. The tone is I always say and she's there. I'm like, I don't want to speak like this around Aviva. Like she helps remind me that it's like, nope, transition out because that's not who I want to model. I don't want her to see that in me. You know, I don't want to be that kind of model. Yet there's times where I'm like, well, that didn't work. We're just keep we're, we're just going at it still. And yeah, the dance party was awesome. So I hope to have more dance parties, but but it happens. We're all there. You know, we all get frustrated, but you know, it is what it is. I think the more that you do it too, the more that that will become your new pattern and redirect, right? Because this time you were able to spot it out for your husband and you're like, Hey, dance party. Like we're getting a little bit too heated here. And maybe the next time when you're overheated and you're not able to think clearly, it's the end of the day, he might be able to say, Oh, Hey, Ilana dance party yes. um, and help each other. And the more that you do that, the more that it just becomes routine and you don't even have to think about doing it anymore. Absolutely. And that's what partnership is, is sometimes your partner can see something that you can't even see. And if they can help you with the tools, that's the best. And we talked about this with, you know, the, the last episode with the recap with Dr. Lamb, where when our children have behavioral, you know, issues and they're having their meltdowns, it's, they're just telling us that they need something and we're there to help them. Well, it's the same thing with our partners. Our husbands can help us figure out, all right, we're grouchy, we're moody, we're anxious. That's their sign that something's off and we're not getting what we need. So wouldn't it be amazing if they can help us figure that out and give us resources? So all of this applies to kids and adults. And I think this is family. This is day-to-day family life. And I just think that this information is so important. So I love talking about it. And one thing that Michelle brought up that I just loved too, she brought up a lot of cool points, but it was this idea of special time. <laughs> and I, I just thought that was so great. I absolutely want to adopt it. She says how like everything is about you know, like giving your kids the attention that they need, but you also have to create the time because we can't always give our kids attention. Just like our husbands can't always just give us the attention that we need at times. You know, life happens, things happen but how cool it is to like design and like set time up just for special time. So I really wanted to talk to you about this. I wanted to clarify what special time was. And I'm curious if you even do this with your kids and how you do this with two kids. So can you give us a little bit of insight into your family life with special time? I love special time. It's one of the things that makes me the most happy as a parent is to having two kids is great. Having multiple kids is great, but you said it can bring these challenges of making sure that they each feel like they're important and that they are connecting with the parents. And so the special time is so fun for me because I love them and they're doing so many different things and they have different needs. So when you put two kids in one room that have very different needs, it can be hard to connect, like you said. But doing special time with Otto and Leo is something we've done from the start and something I was committed to when I knew that we were going to have two kids. And I think the idea can sound a little bit overwhelming because, you know, especially if you're working, both parents 
parents are working or if you don't have the ability to use in-laws or parents, um, your parents or babysitters to get that special time if you have two kids. But it's not about the quantity of time as much as it is about the quality. And this is something that's going to change with seasons too, because when you have a new baby and if you're feeding with a bottle or if you're nursing, there's going to be that special time that you have with the baby. And you're going to have to find ways to let your other child or children know that, okay, like right now it's really important for me to bond with the baby. But once baby is done feeding, then let's do something together and make sure that they get that additional time too. And then when you're with the baby, you know, just looking at the baby, but also being able to look at the other child and what they're doing. And they can tell your presence, even if you are distracted with something else, they're able to tell that you are watching them. So, you know, I've caught myself sometimes too, where Otto would be sitting and I'd be nursing Leo, but I'd be on my phone. And that way, none of them are getting that presence, right? And they're not feeling that connection. But if I were to put that phone down and to be feeding Leo and then to be looking up at Otto and telling him he's building a beautiful tower um, and then look back at Leo and giving him that special time. I mean, it could be as simple as that. But one thing that we are doing now that especially, you know, the kids being older is we, we used to do this. We haven't done it very much anymore. We figured out different ways, especially with the arm being broken, um, <laughs> but we'll split up the time. So my husband will have you know one to three hours with Otto um, on a weekend morning, and I'll have the one to three hours with Leo on the weekend morning, and then we'll split it up, but we'll find something that they want to do. Um, you know, Otto loves to go on trains. So we go on some trains here in San Diego, or we'll go play outside with like his special toy. And it's just that one parent to one kid. And I think that can be really important too, especially if, you know, my kids are both favoring me right now and they want to be with me all the time. Uh, But if I'm not around, then they really have that important special time with their dad and they can connect better that way. So I think there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. It can be as simple as just having that eye contact and spending 15 minutes playing with whatever toy they want to at night, or it could be going on an adventure on the weekend. Mm, I love that. And I I love the partnership with like, Brian, you're in charge of this one. I'm in charge of this. I'm taking lead with Otto. I'm taking lead with with, um, Leo. I think that is great. One thing though, I want to highlight that Michelle said is this special time, it's when your kid can regain a sense of control again, because we're constantly controlling, do this, do that. You can't do this. And then that time, whether it's 15 minutes, 20 minutes, it's like, you get to do whatever you want. And I think that that's really helpful for them to be able to have that time. But she brought up a really interesting point. And she said she had her child one day say, okay, it's my time to control. And then her kid told her, okay, sit down, do your homework, mom. Like (laughs) she was like modeling what she's been told to do. And I think that was so interesting. That was like such like aha moment for me where it's like, wow, our kids really pick up on what we say and look at her. I think it was her four-year-old or her six-year-old. I'm not sure who it was who went back to her to be like, yeah, mom, you sit down and do your homework. And it's like, wow, that's really (laughs) what she needed to like express herself and to like get her emotions out. And I think she's able to process through those emotions of being told what to do by now regaining control and saying that to her mom, yeah, you sit down and do your homework. 
And I actually think it's a great opportunity for a parent to observe what their kids are experiencing and maybe observe how we're speaking to them is really affecting them and how they're reacting to it and responding. And just to be really, really interested in what that special time and what your kid is doing and choosing to do in that special time, I think it gives us a lot of insight into how we want to best communicate with our kids. Yeah. Yep. And I think that's an important part that letting them choose what they want to do too. I think, you know, I can get sucked into like, okay, our special time is going to be you going to Trader Joe's with me because I have to go grocery shopping (laughs) as well. And like, like, that's great. And like, sometimes that really is something he enjoys doing. Like he does like going grocery shopping with me, but also like allowing him to decide instead of running errands with me, what he wants to do. And, you know, look, it can be not very fun for you sometimes. Maybe you don't want to play like, well, Legos are, almost always fun for me, but maybe you don't want to play with dinosaurs or like you had a hard day at work and you don't want to sit down and play, but giving yourself, it can, if you let down your guard and you just bring out the inner child, like you can make it fun. And the times that it's not fun, like just give it a couple minutes. Like mm-hmm. it just it doesn't have to be too long. Just like let them play. And you know, again, putting yourself in their shoes and looking at all the times that you have to redirect their behavior and how frustrating that may be for them. So it really is something that you know, they deserve. They deserve to have yeah. that special time where they get the say. Absolutely. And also with the Trader Joe's example, technically that wouldn't be special time, right? Because you're dictating that. And I think which uh, what Michelle said was like, you actually have to let them know special time, like announce it. Right. So special time is coming up so that they know like, Oh, it's coming. Okay, great. Now I get to be in control versus, Hey, let's go to Trader Joe's. It's your special time. It's like you automatically just told them where to go or what to do, I guess. But that's great. Like one-on-one time, but I still don't think that that allows you know, the kid to be in control necessarily. Do I have that right? You do. You do. And I think, and that's her definition of special time. I think people's definition of special time can be different too. Um, But in the episode, that's what she talked about. Yeah. It's like letting them decide what, when, or not when, but like what they're going to do and then giving them that heads up for sure. Instead of being like, hop in the car, we're going to go to Trader Joe's because I need groceries, but it's one-on-one time, you know? Right. And that's great. Cause I still think that's great. Cause now it's one-on-one maybe as auto you took he feels special because he's not with Leo, but I do think special time is still very unique. And I love the idea of announcing it. So they have something to look forward to. And she even said, time it out. Well, like do it before dinner time. So they get it all out. So then they can actually sit down to dinner and not move and wiggle and want to leave. And I, I just think you can really utilize this to your benefit for everyone. I just think it's a win-win in so many ways. I would love to adopt that. I think I will. I just, I guess I think Aviva's too young to need that, but that's not true at all. I think that I can start that even today and see how she does with it. So I'm excited to to start that. I thought that was a great takeaway. Yeah, absolutely. No, you can start that at any time, even when they're babies, they can, they pick up on you being present with them and feeling, you know, what you want. And yeah, again, it's not like a newborn baby is going to tell you what they want to do, mm-hmm. but still getting that in one-on-one time um, is very special to them. So just a different definition, different way to look at it. But so let's talk about something else that Michelle brought up, and that is in regards to eating. You know, we love talking about food on this podcast. We've had a couple of different experts recently talking about dietary quality and intake, but she brought up a different way to look at it, and it's you know the um, the quantity of what a kid's eating and the amount of food not being as important how much they're eating from a day-to-day basis, but how much they're eating over a week's time. 
time. So let's kind of shift gears and talk about what she had to say about eating. Do you agree with that? Yeah. And I, I think in the context of this was mostly, you know, when you have a kid who sits down at the dinner table and was like, I don't want to eat. I don't want to eat. Like, what do you do about that? You know, yeah. like, should we worry yeah. about it? Or she would just be like, sure. Okay. No problem. Or, you know, in that regard, it's like, when do we worry and when do we not worry? And I really liked how she said, she's like, you guys gauge the amount of food on like a week's basis, not like a day to day, because perhaps like your kid sits down and like, nope, not hungry. Nope. I don't want to do this. I want to go play. Okay. Maybe a day or two that is reasonable, but at some point the child has to eat. Right. So maybe Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, the child eats like barely anything, but like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they're like downing their dinner and their lunch and they're asking for more snacks. And so I just think it's important that we look at the big picture. And so I do agree with that. The other thing is that just keep in mind, our kids' appetites really do change based on their, their growth spurts. You know, mm -hmm. some, gosh, some days, some weeks, you know, Viva could be eating like double the amount than other weeks. And it's, I don't like make it mean anything. I just know, oh, she's growing. She's probably sleeping more. Oh yeah, that makes sense. And oh, she must be going through a milestone. Oh, she's got more words. So you just kind of let that be. Um, and then another thing to keep in mind, since, you know, a lot of us mamas, we love giving our, our kids really nutrient dense foods. A lot of these foods are high, um, good, healthy quality fats. They're very dense. They're very high calorie. And so your kid may only be needing a, a little bit of food quantity wise, but it's so nutrient rich and nutrient dense that they really may not need a full meal's worth of, of food. So kind of take that into consideration as well. But I would just say just for peace of mind, as long as your child is growing steadily and not showing signs of large fluctuations on his or her growth chart, then you don't really need to worry about it. You know, so gauge it week by week, not day to day and allow your kids to have times where they just may not want to be sitting at the dinner table eating. And that is totally okay. Maybe throw in some special time before dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. I agree with that completely. Okay, good. Perfect. All right. I wanted to kind of shift gears here. You kind of talked a little bit about how specifically men, how they like to fix things. And I can definitely relate to that in, in my relationship with Anthony. And oftentimes when our kids are having emotional outbursts or, you know, just like upset, I can sometimes tell that Anthony just wants to like fix things, right? So he doesn't like to see Aviva upset or irritable and automatically he just like goes to like, what, what, what can we do? What can we like end this irritability? And I like how Michelle mentioned that we don't always want to just fix things because when we quickly move to that, we don't always allow our emotions to emerge and to be present. And we want to encourage our kids to have these emotions and especially to have these emotions in a safe space. And I really love that philosophy. Now, with that being said, I'm just kind of curious how long we want them to play this out <laughs> because we don't necessarily want our children to have meltdowns for like 30 minutes or a whole hour, right? Just to allow them to express their emotions. Like, I think that can be really taxing on them and on us. But at the same time, we want them to be able to express their emotions. So I'm just curious your point of view with how long you think is too long. And also if your husband, or if you've just noticed this at all, even for you, if you tend to want to just fix it and get the emotions to just be like taken care of, to move on. 
Oh, I'm totally like Anthony. I like want to <laughs> fix things right away. And that's not how I am in a lot of other areas of my life. But when it comes to my kids' happiness, I just, I want them to be happy all the time. And I get it. I understand that they're not supposed to be happy all the time. They need to understand these emotions for development and just for life skills. So it is hard for me. And it's a practice all the time of letting them have their space to work through whatever they're going through. And I don't think that there's a set amount of time I don't think you set a clock for 30 minutes and if it's longer than 30 minutes, then you intervene. I think it is knowing your child and based on your history and their history of tantrums or breakdowns and how they navigate it. I can tell, just like you can tell kind of for the different type of cries, what your baby needs, like, oh, that sounds like a cry because she's hungry or he's hurt or she's scared. You can you can almost tell with the tantrums what they need in that moment, or at least, you know, I can, and I've, I've been able to work through that. So I can tell if they are so wound up with this tantrum that they're not going to be able to get out of it easily. And they're not going to be able to register that parasympathetic state, and they're not going to be able to work through it on their own. I can kind of tell just how intense it is and what time of day it is and all those different factors that we talked about. But with that being said, I do give them a couple of minutes at least to figure it out. And I've even found as young as Leo, who's two, sometimes he will throw a fit and he's on the ground, he's angry about something, and he needs that space more than anything. I'll try to go and intervene and rub his back and he goes, no. And he just wants to be mad. And then I know, okay, he needs to work through this. And usually that only takes a couple of minutes. He'll figure out, all right, like I need to get that energy released. And then he'll usually come up to me and give me a hug and move on. And it's really beautiful seeing him work through that. And I think getting comfortable with seeing him work through that at times allows me to give him that extra space to have those hard feelings. So I guess that's my answer is really just trusting what your gut is telling you and also understanding that if you have a personality like Anthony's or mine, that it may be very uncomfortable for you, but trust the process and give them that space because it is so important. Mm. Okay. I really appreciate that insight too, since you do have that similarity to Anthony. Yeah. I think you said something, you said a couple of things I want to just note. One is it's like, you always want your kids to be happy and that's obviously not real. And you even acknowledge that, that they do need to process these for just optimal development. And I think that's where us as parents, we can find how do we be comfortable in the discomfort of when our kids are upset And once we can start feeling comfortable in that discomfort, I think we can really back off and let them process what they need to process and look at it like a gift to them. And I know that may sound harsh or that may sound weird or also very challenging, but we all do have emotions. And I think it's very important to honor those emotions and to create that safe space for those emotions. And as long as there's a safe space for the emotions, then it's good. We want them to emote, right? We want them to express their emotions because the worst case scenario is that one day they have emotions and really what they do is they suppress, they regress, and then now they blow up because they don't have access into expression. And that's what we don't want for our kids. So perhaps we can look at it like that. You know, this thought just came to me as you were talking. So I hope that that makes sense. 
And the other thing you mentioned that I thought that was really interesting is that you listen for your kids' cries, right? Because it's true. We all, they all have different cries. And I hate to say this, but I'm so aware of when Aviva fake cries that I Mm -hmm. almost find it to be funny at this point. And I just laugh. And I think it kind of helps break her of the cry because I just look at her and I'm like, that is so fake, you know? And I'm like, I just wonder to myself, should I be laughing or should I not laugh? But it's almost hard for me not to laugh because I find it to be so funny. Like her face just turns into something that is like, it's so fake. Like I can smell inauthenticity. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. anyone. And so I just laugh. And then it actually kind of helps her get out of it. I think that's probably just like a redirect with play. But um, anyway, so there's there's so many different instances. And I think we always say it all depends. And in this case, too, it probably it depends. So how long do we let them go for it? Again, it depends. And it depends on every kid. And it'd be interesting to see if we ever wanted to stretch the time just to see how the kid works through it. Maybe you want to give it five minutes or 10 minutes or maybe 30 minutes and see how they work through it. And if they do work through it or not, I don't know. I think every kid is a little different. And as parents, we just have to tune into what they, what works for them. Yeah. And part of tuning into what works for them is making sure that our cup is full too and and taking care of ourselves. Because if we are feeling very overwhelmed with life, navigating these tantrums and giving them the space and allowing them to process the emotions is going to feel a lot heavier. And that's part of the reasons that we do the Nourish Yourself segment is to give you ideas of things that you can do and things that based on things that we're doing to nourish your heart and soul and body and mind. And one of the things that she does to help center herself is declutter and live a more simple life. She stopped hosting big holiday parties and she found out that when she simplified her life, she was a lot less stressed and she could focus on her kids. So have there been things that you've changed in your life to declutter and has that helped you simplify your life with Aviva? Oh my goodness. I loved how she talked about this because I think at heart, I'm really a minimalist. I I don't like a lot of things. I've never been interested in fancy clothes or fancy cars. Like that actually is not anything that excites me. I just, I find that when things are organized and I don't have a lot of things, I am less stressed out. And so one of the things when I went into parenthood, I realized that, all right, well, I already have a lot of, like, I have few things, but what other things, like, what's the next level I can take to even have even less of a stressed life? And it's very interesting stuff. And I almost hate to admit this, but it happens to be that the thing that I've changed the most was like my social calendar and how like social I am with people. And I, I almost think that's silly because it actually nourishes me a lot to connect. I, I, I really get a lot and I feed off a lot with helping people and connecting with people and it does take energy and it takes time and it takes time and energy away then from where I can put it to Aviva. So I would say that's probably the biggest thing I did to declutter. It wasn't about the things for me because that was already decluttered. It was about the time and energy for me that I decluttered. And it's really made a big difference. And now we kind of have a rule that on the weekends, we really only commit to one social activity. And before it was like a social activity, Friday night, Saturday and Sunday, like Anthony and I, we both love our community and we love being social. And there was something that we really had to agree on and be okay with. And it was not easy. And it's still, we sometimes have two events, if not one, but we really are mindful about it. And we really do our very best to not over commit ourselves because that to us could impact our, our time with Aviva and just also drain us at times instead of fill us. So that's something we did. 
What about for you? Is there anything that you found that you did in order to really take care of yourself, especially once you became a a mom to de-stress and declutter? Yeah, I think for me, it really is that environment and what I see around, you know, when we're hanging out in the house, because we spend a lot of time in the house. I work from home and the kids, they're gone at school all day. So when they come home, we're pretty much at home or outside. And We've done this a lot with toys. I think that's been one of the biggest things is not having a ton of toys out and having just a couple of toys. And I talked about on a previous podcast, moving that toy room from where we could see it and we could see the mess and we could see all the toys um, in like the dining area and the living room area to a separate room. Because if I don't see it and I don't see all the things, I feel just more calm and at peace. And in turn, my kids feel more calm and at peace and they can focus on their their food. And, you know, for example, for Christmas, I know my parents and uh, in-laws are going to be getting the kids a, a ton of toys because that's just what they do. They love gift giving. That's their love language. And they love seeing the kids open presents. And so in turn, we're making sure that we don't get our kids anything, right? And that we enjoy experiences with our kids instead of cluttering our house with more and more toys. So, you know, this is airing around the holidays and, and that's something to really just think about, you know, is it important for us to have a ton of toys in general for one? And then for two, how many toys do we want to have out at a time? Because if you have all of your toys out at one time, it can be very overwhelming for them to see too. And so maybe picking a couple of your favorite toys and then putting the rest in a closet or a spare room and rotating them every now and then so they get that new stimulation without being overstimulated, I think can be a really smart strategy. Mm, I love that. We're so similar in so many ways. Yes, I totally agree with all of that. That's great. I love it. Anyway, the, another really great thing you do with your kids that you mentioned on the episode step was that you do breathing exercises with Otto. <laughs> and I yeah. was like, when I listened, I was like, oh my goodness, I had no idea you did this. I was like imagining you guys doing that together. And I just thought, gosh, that not only helps Otto, it definitely helps Stephanie. Like, I love this idea. So I'm curious, at what age did you start doing this? Because I don't think you could just do it at any age. So I'm curious when you started, because I would love to do this with uh, Viva. Yeah, I think I started it, I mean, even before he understood what was going on. And that was part of nourishing myself, too. Once I felt that anxiety start to come out or I felt very overwhelmed, I would do that. I would do my deep breaths and I would make it very vocal and loud. And he's just been seeing me do that my whole life. And so I'm trying to think of what age we started it. He was having one of his first tantrums. So maybe it was around the age of two. And I was like, what can I do to help him calm down? Because he's very worked up. And I didn't have a whole lot of tools. I love doing this podcast because we can help other parents that are maybe new parents or to-be parents or thinking about becoming parents be equipped with these strategies. Because I didn't have these. I just kind of played it by ear at the time. And so I, I helped him breathe. And he does that now on his own. I see him um, last night when he was really worked up about coughing and I I saw him do a couple of deep breaths where he breathes in through his nose. He like hold, holds it for a second or two. And then, and I just, I see him do it throughout the day. And it makes my heart so happy because I know breathing has been one of the most effective strategies for helping me navigate hard situations and anxiety. And yeah, I would just encourage, you know, role model, just like what you do with eating before your kid eats, they see the type of food that you eat. And same with breathing, they pick up on so many things and you can implement some of these really great strategies for them 
before they're even ready for it. Oh my goodness. So you just see him doing it on his own. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so special. That's what I was hoping you would say. Cause you know, I, at first I'm sure you just taught him, you guys did it together and now you'll see he uses that. That is powerful. That is really, really special stuff. Oh, I can't wait. I'm going to teach that to Aviva and no. all my future kids. Thanks. Good. Yeah, good. I can't wait for you to share that with her. Mm-hmm. Well, before we wrap up any other takeaways that you had from this episode, You know, I have so many, but I want to highlight one because I I really love this episode. I love Michelle. One of the things she said at the end, end of the episode, when you said, oh, where can people find, find out more about you, right? And how can you work together? She said something really powerful. I thought when she said, you know, if you decide to work with her, she said that you're going to help change the trajectory of your kid's life over generations. So if you're really committed to parenting mindfully and having peaceful parenting, you're not only just affecting how you are a parent to your own child, but the way that you're a parent will be modeled from your kids picking up on that. And then that will in turn then impact on how their parents. So really indirectly, your work will impact the way your grandkids get treated. And like, I got chills. Like when I thought about that, it's so true. Like we have so much we can do to help just how we are parents to our kids, then be parents to their kids, then be parents to their kids. Like, wow. And she used the, I think she said 80% of how kids are, are modeled by what they learn from us as parents, like 80%. That's such a high number. So how we act during stressful times, how we even eat food, right? How we, um, have a routine with our workouts and our sleep, how we do deep breathing. Like you were just talking about. 80% of what we do as parents are modeled and learn from our kids. And so of course that's going to impact how their parents, then how their kids are parents and how their kids are parents. So I just think that that's so powerful and we get to choose that, you know, we get to choose how we want to be parents and how much we want to be an impact on all these future generations. And that just gave me chills and it was a big insight for me. And it's a big motivation for me to stay committed to who I want to be for my child and how I want to show up so that they can then be parents to their own children. And it's never too late to start these things, right? Like even if you have a child that's now a teenager, it's never too late to really figure out what you can do to best connect with yourself and create that inner peace so that you can give that inner peace and and be there for your child when you have family get togethers or when they come home from college or whatever it is. Um, these things just are lifelong skills that we can keep learning and keep practicing. Absolutely. And Michelle's an example of that. She was the parent she didn't want to be. She was modeling after her parents. And she realized after all of these years of yelling and screaming, that wasn't who she was committed to being. And that's when she found hand in hand approach you know? And so that's what made it for her. And so she not only uses it for her kids, but now she coaches other people. So she gets it. You know, she's been there, she's transformed, she's rewired her pattern. So it's possible for anyone. And I just think that that's very encouraging and very, um, inspiring. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Don't forget if you're doing the January whole 30, or if you are pregnant or looking to conceive, Join our Healthy Mama Happy Baby Facebook group right now for access to our free January Whole30 coaching. You can use a code PODCAST40 to get $40 off your membership. I cannot wait to hang out with you in that group. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. We read each and every review and we love hearing from you. 
If you're looking for the show notes, you can find those at wholemamasclub.com forward slash podcast. Leave us comments there or questions for future shows. And please remember that the views on this podcast are not meant to be substituted for medical advice, shouldn't be used to diagnose, treat, or cure any conditions, and are intended for general information purposes only. Now go on, have a great day, and nourish and nurture yourself and your family. Thank you.